and welcome to another episode of the AFA podcast, the official podcast for animationforadults.com. And welcome to episode 62, a very special episode where we're going to take a look into the development of one of our favorite films of uh, this year, The Little Prince. And joining me today is our usual cohorts, Chris. Hello, Rachel. Hey, and Dan. Hi. And a very, very special guest today to uh, talk with us about the development of The Little Prince is uh, the film's director, Mark Osborne. Hi, how are you guys doing? We're doing very well. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Big fan, big fan. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) We we do our best, but we were... um, it was. We were really uh, happy to have the opportunity to get to see the Little Prince, and I don't know if you uh, had an opportunity to check out our episode where we discussed it, but it was probably one of the best times we have ever had talking about that movie. Yeah, no, it was a blast. I mean, I've, I've been a fan. I, I, I think um, as an adult who loves the animation, I <laughs> completely support what you guys are doing, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was very happy to hear that you liked the film. Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've watched it at least more, definitely more than once, at least two, maybe three times. I've uh, been sharing it with everyone I can, and I know uh, my father was attending uh, with me when we, uh, when I got the opportunity to meet you in person at um, the Animation Nights uh, New York Vesta Fest, and um, we saw your presentation that you did there on uh, the Little Prince, and my dad was able to watch the. Uh, the trailer with uh, with me when we uh, were watching your presentation, and he's like, "I really want to see that." Well, cool. Yeah, it's actually. Um, I'm. I'm. I now. I've stopped watching the movie. I've seen it too many times. <laughs> I've, seen it, I've seen it actually in too many different languages, which kind of blew my mind over. Oh the, my goodness. Of the last year and a half, yeah. But I, I never turned down an opportunity to talk about it because it, it's been such an important sort of part of my life, part of my family's life. And um, just so I can get a chance to brag about working with all the amazing artists and uh, people that were involved in the project, I'm so incredibly um, grateful and humbled to been able to work with so many talented people to help bring this to life that um, any chance I get to sing their praises, I take it. Very good. And uh, you'll have a, you'll definitely have an opportunity to do that today. <laughs> so um, to get the ball rolling, I guess um, in order to, uh, you know, introduce anyone in our, uh, you know, any one of our followers who might not know exactly other than the uh, what you've worked on, other than The Little Prince, would you mind uh, giving us a little uh, rundown about um, other things you've been doing in your career? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I I, um, I began just by making short films. I, I got really interested in animation and, and uh, you know, making films primarily in stop motion at first. And I did a couple short films um, that got me some attention and got me um, noticed, you know, here and there, and kind of one thing led to another. Um, but my my short film more that um, I made in 1998 ended up getting nominated for an Academy Award and won Best Short Film at Sundance, and got my foot in the door in a bunch of places. One of them be, uh, being DreamWorks um, feature animation, and I went there to get some experience in features and kind of was shocked and surprised at the end of uh, a very long process of making um, Kung Fu Panda to be, I was one of two directors on that project that helped to bring that to fruition. And it was an incredible experience, um, but that ended up opening doors for me to be able to um, create a film like The Little Prince. Little Little Prince actually kind of fell in my lap and became 
an incredible uh, opportunity to explore not only you know telling this beautiful wonderful story uh, you know in a cinematic way but as a as a I think a, a way that sort of combined all the work that I had done leading up to it. It was it was like a personal film. It was like one of my short films, but it was also combining sort of my experience working in um, big budget animated features um, like uh, Kung Fu Panda. Mm-hmm. So it was like a combination of both of those elements, like uh, an independent film, but also having a bit more of a backing behind it. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was completely independent. And that was one of the incredible opportunities is that it was going to be done outside the studio system, because I really believed that, you know, the book didn't lend itself to something that was going to be done completely within the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the book is so well known, um, the two French producers who had approached me about um, joining the project as the director, they they. Um, had this uh, plan where they were going to raise money from all the territories all over the world where the book is really well known. It's been translated into 260 different languages. And, you know, the book's been around for more than 70 years at this point. So it has a very broad reach. So they kind of had this ambitious idea that they wanted to be able to make a film that would play all over the world. You know, the book is global. So they wanted to make a film that was global. And so it kind of created this really interesting opportunity to make a very um, independent, um, you know, uh, very, very creative project, but one that also would have, um, I think, the resources to be somewhere in between, you know, your typical small indie film and your your big budget studio film. So it kind of, uh, yeah, created a a situation that I don't think I ever could have imagined. Um, And not a lot of people really understand that. Um, There's a lot of sort of... um, confusion about the project because we we never had um a studio partner with the project it was done completely independently um and like i said all the financing came from various sources so we never actually had one um studio that was controlling us because we had um different um distribution partners in every single territory all over the world Mm -hmm. so it kind of created this unprecedented opportunity to, to creatively control the project yeah, I believe I remember you saying in your presentation in, uh, in Annie that that was uh, basically a lot of that was due to the fact that just because this story is such a, you know, it's such a worldwide, you know, critically acclaimed story. And that, that it just like the name alone was enough to carry it through. Yeah, you would think it was it was all you needed. Uh, it was it was even with the, the name recognition and, you know, the brand recognition. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be much easier to get this film off the ground, but um, it took quite a while to actually lock up all the financing necessary for us to pull it off. Mm-hmm. So um, even with a, a recognized name and brand like this, it was still incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you um, elaborate a little bit maybe on some what some of those challenges that uh, came up? Well, when I when I joined the project, you know, it, it it appeared that all the funding was in place, but there was still so much work to do to get all the different partners um, committed to the project. And so, one of the things that we did early on, instead of just writing a script um, so that everybody could understand the story we were going to tell, we had to create a lot of artwork. We created a lot of visual props. Um, I created this. Um, uh, we, I conceived of this thing called the magic suitcase that was really just like a one-of-a-kind sort of artistic prop that was created to show off the ambition and the creativity for the project. 
And that magic suitcase was something that I brought in to um, financiers and distributors and actors and artists all across um, the project, like all over the world. I would bring this magic suitcase in to pitch the story and and explain how we were going to uh, take care of this book and not just exploit it, but we were going to actually create a, a film that would be a loving tribute that would be um, meant to protect the book and allow the book to be sort of the beating heart of a larger story that was going to be uh, celebrating the power of the book. So these are very sort of big ideas that we needed to to convince people of. And and so um, it really took quite a quite a bit of effort, I think, to make sure that people understood exactly what we were planning to do, but also to understand the ambition of and the high level of commitment that we all had to take care of this book first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you, you mentioned that before. And uh, and also you said that you had a, a deeper history with the book. So when you were approached for this project, you were you were a little hesitant. I think you said that uh, first coming on saying that this is just one of those projects that you just weren't sure if you wanted to try and even touch yeah yeah it's 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 a book that if you know the book you know the book is meaningful to you and there are a lot of people who don't know the book but but if you do know the book it it it, it probably has a uh, a place in your life and in your heart and and for me you know, I knew the book so well that yeah, when I was first approached and asked if I wanted to make a big animated movie out of the book, I I just said no. I said it's impossible, you know, because um, the book really does. I think it lives in the imagination of the reader in a very special way. Each person kind of perceives the book in a different way, and so when I first imagined it as a, as a big movie, I just was like, no, the book will break if you try to stretch the book out. It will it will break. And, um, but then I sort of went into my own experience with the book and I kind of started thinking about how the book had really impacted me. And, um, what I started to realize is there was a, there was maybe a larger opportunity to celebrate the power of the book and how it can change somebody's life. Cause, um, the book actually was given to me not as a child, but back when I was about 20 years old, my, my wife, who we, we actually we were just dating in college at the time, she actually gave me her copy of the book when we were going to have like a long distance relationship. Um, I got accepted into CalArts to study animation. We we met in New York at Pratt Institute, and when I got in um, got into animation, um, I was going to have to move all the way across the country, and I didn't want to be separated from her. And I and I kind of was coming up with every excuse why I shouldn't go, and she was incredibly supportive. And she would actually, you know, she's, you know, was saying things like, you know, we'll always be together even if we're apart. And she would actually quote the book in letters to me. And she would say, it is only with the heart that one could see rightly what is essential is invisible to the eye. And she eventually gave me her copy of the book as a way to keep us bonded and keep us connected. And, you know, the fact that we're now married and we have two children and we've kind of gone through this experience of making the movie like it's just crazy to me when I look all the way back at that very pivotal moment in my life and in my development as an artist and a filmmaker and the fact that she was actually using that book as a way to sort of push me along and to encourage me but also as a way to help kind of keep us connected you know was really kind of it's kind of extraordinary when I look back at it um, but it was you know the, the the more I thought about it 
the more I realized, wait a minute, I can't say no to this opportunity because of the fact that I have this significant connection and I have this, you know, the fact that my life was really altered by this book, I started to sort of look for um, a way that we could actually, um, you know, tell a story about how the book can alter your life. And so that's, that. you know, that's just the earliest stages of the process because I really wanted to um, explore this idea further. And, uh, you know, and that was really the beginning of it for me. Um, and then I started, you know, connecting with other artists and other people that also love the book and that wanted to kind of help also go down this road. And over over the years of, of making the movie, it's been, you know, the book has been like a magnet that has really drawn incredible artists to the fold that were going to bring their own experiences with the book. And, you know, we as a, as a collective group, we're really looking to uh, find a way to tap into the universal ideas in the book um, and the universal themes and all the things that across cultures and borders have um, connected us all together in this experience of knowing the power of this book. And so, that was sort of like the, yeah, the the reason I said no at first was also the reason I ended up saying yes. And uh, <laughs> I tell my wife throughout the whole process, I would tell her when when things were really particularly bad, I I would turn to her and say, you know, well, this is all your fault, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I blame you for this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's it's you can definitely tell when looking at the movie. I know we definitely could tell when uh, we all saw it that uh, it's the passion that you and your team had for this story in particular and the way you were able to honor the story, but also tell a story around it. Like you said, was really like the, the passion was coming through in every single, like, you know, movement of the characters and, you know, line. And it was, it was a such a joy to watch. And I guess I wanted to lean that into a question I had in terms of like the um, development, because I know you had the, one of the, stylistic choices of the film is that you had two different forms of animation going on at two different points in the movie when the retelling the sections of the book in more of like a stop motion style while the rest of the film was in uh, computer generated could you yeah, uh, yeah. elaborate a bit on that sure it, you know it was one of the one of the big ideas i think that also helped it um move forward as a project you know in the beginning the idea was just to adapt the book and one of the big ideas I presented back to the French producers, in addition to sort of saying we're going to tell a larger story around the book, was this notion that we would use different techniques um, uh, and, and primarily we would use stop motion to protect the book by, you know, allowing for the book to stay small at the heart of the movie, but allowing the stop motion uh, to be a very handmade, very artistic, very um, sensitive and emotional um, kind of way for us to to portray the the very poetic nature of the book but we would use computer animation as a way to contrast with the stop motion and so this was a big crazy idea um and it didn't actually become a reality until we were pretty deep into the production because everybody would say oh this is a great idea but how are we going to do that like how is that going to work and and nobody quite understood you know and I didn't even understand at the beginning. I was just like, it felt right to me. It felt like the right way to approach it. Um, but it wasn't until Jamie Caleri um, ended up joining the project. Um, and if you don't know Jamie's work, um, he's an extraordinary filmmaker and a, and, a, and a friend of mine ever since um, CalArts. And I've always 
admired his work. He's probably well, most well known for a, 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 a animated spot that he did for United Airlines called Dragon. And it's a beautiful, beautiful. It's all rendered in paper, and it's it's incredible. And and um, I've always been a fan of that, and I've always been inspired by his work. He uses he uses paper quite a bit. And in fact, when I was struggling trying to figure out how we were going to do this, he um, ended up uh, making a music video for the Shins um, for the Rifles. And he worked with his um, longtime collaborator. Um, on that, his uh, production designer and character designer named Alex Juhas. And the two of them together made this music video for The Shins, and it was the first time that Jamie was actually using puppets to tell a story, and he was going beyond sort of flat paper. And I saw that, and it almost knocked me over. And I just, you know, I called him up, and I was like, please, you have to be a part of this. And so Jamie came onto the project really not – he didn't know the book very well, but he understood the importance of it, and he understood – um, the the sheer um, necessity that we get it right, and he understood this notion that the book was going to be the heart of the movie, and so it was really amazing um, to have him join the project, not only for his artistic um, contribution, but just because it 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 really helped tremendously. Um, Jamie is is really a genius, and he's also the inventor, along with his brother, of this st- software called Dragon Frame, which is state-of-the-art stop-motion software mm-hmm. and so he's, he's a great filmmaker and storyteller but he's also got this amazing sort of genius technical mind as well and um, anyway Jamie coming on board and bringing along Alex Juhas really helped um, I think bring this very sort of abstract idea into um, reality and so the stop-motion sequences are pretty much you know um, the make or break thing for the whole movie. And um, so it was really uh, kind of a thrill to be able to, to work with Jamie and collaborate with Jamie on those sequences. And he created, you know, a lot of um, momentum for the project. And when we started to get footage back from stop motion, it was before we had finished footage for um, CG. And so the, the stop motion footage ended up kind of guiding and driving the quality of light that we use throughout the whole movie and, um, you know, it was just, it was incredibly helpful and it, it really buoyed the whole production for us to have this material that was so inspiring and um, I think really guided us um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, they were all really impressive sequences. Like I remember the, like you said, uh, the paper, the, the, the and bits of animation where it looked like it was all just paper and then uh, once the little prince shows up, it seems like it takes a jump swing. Like, it's still, the stop motion, it's still made of paper, but it's a it like took on a whole nother dimension. Right. It actually goes from actually, you know, we say there's two forms of animation in the movie. There's actually four and a half kinds of animation (laughs) because we start with hand drawn, you know, the movie begins with just as you would expect. It's just like the drawings from the book move a little bit. And then um, we go into computer animation. Then the first time we go into stop motion, it's a very flat, it's like a multi-plane flat paper look so that's more technically cut out animation and then it goes more dimensional um into full stop motion but again yeah using paper as much as possible um everything that you see in the stop motion sequences is surfaced with paper or it's made out of paper in some way and this was a, a really important way for us to link not only to the book and to the pages that the book is written on but more specifically it was meant to link to those 
pages that the little girl is reading the story on, these old yellow, you know, crumpled up pieces of paper that the aviator has been carrying around his whole life. You know, that was the the thing that we were um, using as a, as a major link between these two different, very different worlds. Um, the, the texture and the quality of the paper and the way light would come through the paper was the real really, really vital link between these two very different um, techniques. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dan, Chris, you guys have anything you want to add? I don't want to feel like I'm taking over the whole... <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, it's just fascinating to listen to. You know, I mean, like, obviously, just the, the, the passion, like, the personal, like, passion that you have for the story, Mark, really comes through in the movie, but it's really fascinating to hear uh, just, yeah, just the the role that the book sort of like played in your in your personal life and and as you're saying like you know the understandable sort of oh this is too big this is too big a deal for me to tackle but it's it's just uh, it's fascinating to hear that that was the the sort of push pull that kind of drove you to well uh, it, it, to, yeah, to make even, the movie it's even more complicated because of the fact that there are many many different adaptations that already exist. And so that was another thing that I was aware of. I, ha- I had seen there was a live-action musical made in, the, in 1974 directed by Stanley Donnan, and that was like, okay, that was the book kind of stretched out with like musical numbers added in to kind of pad it out. And so I kind of was aware of that. So I was like, okay, you can't do that. You know, it's like I, I kind of had all these examples of yeah. things what, that you couldn't do. And, um, you know, um, so that was also another reason why we had to find a very novel – approach another we had to find a very interesting way in and something that would would both work whether you knew the book or not that was the other thing is like there are a lot of people who know the book but there's a lot of people who don't know the book and so it had to work as a movie and stand alone on its own um but it also had to be this faithful adaptation and i think that was one of the breakthroughs um was realizing that you know we needed to adapt the work we needed to adapt the words on the page but it was more important for us to adapt the emotional experience what was between the lines the 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 personal um experience that someone can have when they read the book and that was i think what became sort of the main mission that we were all sort of committed to was like finding the right way to explore that emotional experience and i remember that was part of the pitch was saying like we were adapting the emotional experience that people can have with the book as much as we were adapting the book itself. And that I think was our responsibility. Now, now that the book has been around for 70 years, that that is our, that was our responsibility to figure out how to do that because it was more than just a book at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll tell you actually the craziest thing that inspired that was when I was trying to figure out what to do with this book, I, I hit a brick wall and I was I and this was very very early on and I almost almost gave up on it because I was like ah oh, this is uh this is crazy you know you can't this can't be done and I discovered just randomly that Orson Welles was adapting the book back in 1943 before the book was even published he was actually adapting the book to be his follow up to Citizen Kane oh wow and he hmm. use, yeah he wanted to use animation and live action he wanted to um, he wrote four drafts of a screenplay, and it never 
came to fruition and I kind of stumbled up, uh, on this news and I, and that's when I was like, I'm just going to get one of his scripts and I'm going to use one of his scripts and that's how I'm going to do it. And um, I ended up kind of waiting. I, it was very hard to get them. The, uh, the Saint-Exupéry estate had the scripts and so they managed to get me copies. But while I was waiting for those scripts to arrive, I was imagining that because of the size of the book, I was imagining that he had come up with four different you know, kind of larger stories encapsulating the book. And I was just, I was fantasizing about all the things that Orson Welles came up with. And I was kind of astonished when the scripts arrived and they were all very, very straight translations of the book. And I was kind of heartbroken because I was like, oh man. And, and I realized that he was adapting the book before it became a phenomenon. You know, he was adapting just the story itself. And we had a very different task at hand. And um, but what was kind of crazy after that was I had all these fantasies about what he might have come up with. So I, he ended up inspiring a lot of the ideas that I ended up drawing upon um, to to write those first few treatments that when we started working as a, as a larger team developing the story, some of those ideas that kind of were fantasies about what he would come up with ended up being um, really, really helpful. So he, he kind of got me over my block, my creative block in a way. Um, and uh, it's really bizarre when I look back at it. <laughs> yeah, it helps you get over the block, but not quite in the way you were expecting. No, and, and to say that Orson Welles helped me develop the story is just like, you know, it's ridiculous. But it was, it, was, it was such an inspiration to know that he had also been sort of tackling the same, like, creative problem. Like, instead of going, oh, it's impossible, like, he was really trying to find a way. So it kind of, it helped, uh, it helped quite a bit. You know, yeah, well, adapting it's, it's, anything it's, is difficult. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. I, I sometimes find, just in my own like small way, when I'm just having art blocks or something, that I'll look at some artist's work and they've been dead, you know, 100 years sometimes. But I sometimes feel that they're sort of like picking me up out of a ditch. And yeah. it's it's strange the connection that you can feel to uh, to artists that you obviously never knew. Um. I, I want to ask you, Mark, how did you then develop the the the, the wider story in, in the movie with the um the little girl and her mother? Because it really is um like the perfect size, I felt that to oh, to wrap around um the the little prince. Well it was it was it was it took a long time and I'm happy that you think it's the perfect size because I, I still question of whether it was too big or too, we, we, we actually started with something that was much bigger and, and it took us a while to figure out how to squeeze it down. And that came in leaps and bounds. But, um, in the very beginning, I was working with a very small team. I wanted to brainstorm the project with artists and, um, I hired a writer named Irina Brignall, who is a British writer and she, um, wasn't completely aware of the book I think she knew of it but you know it didn't have as much of an impact and that was actually perfect because I wanted somebody who could balance my connection to the book but also balance my own sort of male perspective and I wanted to bring a, 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 a woman into the into the process to help me balance it out and that was a really important part and in those early days we were brainstorming with a with a small group of artists and and um in LA um and all those discussions kind of uh, um, 
brought us to the first we, – we went through many treatments and many different iterations, and it, it brought us to the, sort of the first draft of the script, and, and Irina ended up sort of writing, I think, like you know five different drafts as we kept kind of um, iterating and progressing the story through um, the story process. Um, once we had a script and once we started to raise the money you know, proper in order to, to make the, the whole movie – I actually moved to Paris with my family and we ended up living there for two years doing the pre-production. So we worked with a story team there, um, incredible story artists that um, joined the project. And, and I um, brought on a head of story, a guy named Bob Persichetti, who was um, a DreamWorks guy. He had actually just finished um, working as the head of story on Puss in Boots. And his wife was French. And his two kids were being raised bilingual. They were going to the French school in L.A. And I got the, the hot tip that he was available. And I called him up. And lo and behold, he was a huge fan of Little Prince, even to the degree that he had um, he had a, a, a first edition copy, which I had never actually seen. Oh, with my eyes. Wow. Yeah, and it was amazing. And, and so I'm so grateful that he joined the project. He ended up becoming – he was the head of story. He ran the story team for me in Paris. But he also ended up becoming the second writer because we developed the material so much so quickly and we iterated it, it so much over the course of those two years in Paris um, that we really kept shaping the story more and more and more. Um, so we started with this notion of this little girl, this little grown-up little girl that was going to be sort of the opposite um, to the little prince in some ways. You know, he embodies the spirit of childhood and then she was meant to embody the spirit of adulthood you know and um it really kind of grew organically out of this idea that this little girl was going to move in next door to this very old man that everybody thought was kind of a, a crazy person and you were we were going to slowly reveal that he was the aviator and that he wasn't crazy but he, he had this very fantastical story to tell about meeting the little prince and and um, you know, it all really grew out of the book. You know, the aviator says in the book at the end of the story, um, you know, he talks about how important it is that he writes the story. And he talks about how important it is that 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 the world recognize who the little prince is. Um, should he ever come back? He really wanted them to be able to recognize him. And that was why it was so important for him to write the story. But I, I thought, well, what if when he wrote the story, what if he brought it to the world and what if they didn't understand it? What if they misunderstood it just like his first drawing at age six was misunderstood, you know, and all the grown-ups thought it was a drawing of a hat? Well, what if they didn't understand the book and what if they didn't publish it and what if nobody ever heard it? And what if near the end of his life he was very, very um, distraught at the notion that, that he wasn't going to find somebody to share the story with? And so those were sort of the big ideas that kind of pushed us forward. Um, and that idea that he would then, in a very sort of last-ditch effort to share this book, he would reach out to this little girl when she moves in next door. And the little girl would be very much in need of that story. Um, and, you know, partially it's because of this very unhealthy, very grown-up world that she lives in. But back in the early days we were developing, we actually – the little girl had a mom and a dad, and it was – it was a much bigger story because she was actually in school and she was in conflict with her teacher and there was a lot going on. And once we, you know, we kind of sometimes in the early days, you know, you kind of write the script and you intend that when you board it all out, it's going to be shorter, but it always gets longer. 
And so Bob and I really had to take, you know, a machete to the thing and we had to really chop it down. And there were a, a big a bunch of ideas that, that came along that helped us shrink things down. And one was to get rid of the dad and, and make it a single mom. And that actually helped us by really allowing us to get to the heart of, I think, some of the major themes of the book and, and the themes of abandonment and, and um, you know, we, we we knew the parents were going to be working all the time, but by com- completely putting the dad out of the picture, it actually el- helped us tell the story in a more emotional way, and it helped us get to um, it helped us get to the core of I think some of the themes of the book. Um, but we also then, in a big major shift, we we placed the movie over the course of summer vacation instead of originally it was supposed to be over a whole year of school. And by saying, no, it's going to be summer vacation and and the whole thing is going to lead up to this very stressful first day of school. And that ended up creating, I think, it helped us not only shrink the the story down, but it gave us, I think, a much better arena to play in. You know, summer vacation being that's the that's the domain of the child. You know, it's it's the it's the wonderland that exists in between the, the days of the school year. And we thought, well, what if we take that away from this little girl and we don't let her have. A summer and the aviator offers her the chance to escape and to have a childhood and to have a summer that is free of all those um, sort of more grown-up constraints. Um, So anyway, that's just a little bit of a snapshot of some of those things that developed over time and, you know, any chance that we could get to shrink the story down so that we could, you know, make it more manageable and, and, and be more in the little girl's point of view, be more tied into her emotional story was always a win. And, and those, those ideas um, are sometimes hard fought when you're, when you're telling a story like this, it was a very complicated story to um, figure out. And I'm very, very grateful to both Irina and to Bob and to the entire story team. You know, we're really writing and rewriting the movie constantly as we're in pre-production, even throughout production. Um, and I'm working in editorial with my editors and we're, we're reshaping the story in editorial and we're constantly trying to squeeze it down and find the best version of, of the movie that we can find. And it is a gigantic process of discovery that really goes on for years. Yeah, I mean, and even when you do have to cut it down, there are always those little bits of the story that you kind of wish made it in there. But, you know, obviously for in order to make sure everything's more streamlined and more and fits more to what you're to the vision you're trying to make you have to let them go but i in relation to that, i did have one question were there any particular moments that didn't end up making into the movie that you really wish did or do you think that it you know basically everything that needed to be in the movie ended up being in the movie you know a little bit i mean i there's a, i can't one of the reasons i can't watch it anymore is because i just obsess over like lost opportunities and i had to you know <laughs> you know i love the process of making an animated movie because you have years to sort of plus it you know and you, and it's very hurt it's very hard to stop that creative process it's very hard to like all of a sudden look at it and go oh my god i got a great idea and we can't use it and, and um and to be sort of too late. And so I think that's more of where my head goes when I look at it now. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I'm really happy with all the things that we, that, that kind of fell away over time. Um, And, and I think there's probably a few things in there that I wish we had found a way to, 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 you know, at some point you can't cut anything out because it's like a house of cards and everything can collapse around it. 
And mm-hmm. so there's there's definitely stuff that it was too late to remove, even though we realized that, that it didn't need to be there. And I did have a really um, a really interesting opportunity at the very very end of the process. I was able to go in and make some trims and some edits that I I didn't think I was going to get the chance to do. And I and I think we really actually improved the film in a lot of ways at the at the final stage by you know um, you learn so much about the movie as you as you're making it, and sometimes you can't you can't sort of look at it as a whole until it's all done. And to be able to at that last moment sort of have a chance to go in and and kind of um, accentuate and focus the story is um, was was a luxury that I didn't think we were going to have, and we actually got that at the last minute, and it was very um, yeah, it was kind of helpful. So if, in the in the end, you know, I think there were a couple things that I, I very very minor things that I that I trimmed and tweaked that I I miss, um, but audiences certainly don't miss them. You know, and, <laughs> you know, it's 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 definitely one of those disciplines that you have to. You have to be able to, yeah. You got to be able to uh, to to be very, very objective and and try to tell the best story you can possibly tell by being very, very disciplined about what the audience needs and what they don't need in order to understand and and really have as much of an emotional reaction. That's the thing I think at the end that you want to really try to fine tune and finesse is that making sure that emotional um, reaction is as strong as 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 it can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons that the book itself was so successful. It knew exactly it, it had all the right elements to make it such an emotional, you know, emotionally powerful story. So, you know, it's, I never, yeah, I never realized how much I really I, I enjoy making people cry. Because <laughs> we always wanted and knew and, and 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 we wanted this to be an emotional experience, but knowing whether or not we were actually going to make people cry was sort of like, that was the big question mark looming over all of our heads, you know? And and I think at times we felt emotional making the movie, um, but it was a very, very difficult movie to make. And so that sometimes we were emotionally reacting to the severe trauma that we were experiencing. Um, but I'll never forget the first time we screened it for a full audience, which was at the Cannes Film Festival. And I was... I was um, I was a mess throughout the whole. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It plays differently. You know, and and people were reading subtitles. It was you know in English. The original version of the movie was in English, and it played in English. And there were French subtitles, so it was kind of like I, I just was like, I just want to get out of here without getting booed. I was like, if we can just, <laughs> you know, the, the book is so precious in France, and I what in some ways what we were doing with the movie was you know some some would call it courageous and some would call it stupid you know and so i knew that it was like gonna there was a chance that it was all gonna go south and so i was just wanting to get out of there without getting booed and when the lights came up not only did we get an incredible standing ovation that went on and on and on like uh, i i don't even it just felt like it was eternal and but to see all the grown-ups in their tuxedos with red watery eyes <laughs> applauding and the, the amount of emotion on the faces of of all these people like it was it was I'll never forget it it was the it was the weirdest thing because I I was convinced that we had just you know um like it was, I was convinced it was a disaster <laughs> I was like terrified <laughs> but it was yeah it was really it was it was a warm reception and and so yeah we've We've been making people cry all over the world with this movie, and um, I think that's 
that's what's so nice. No matter what culture you're from and no matter what your experience with the book is, I think it did have this ability to tap into what was emotional about that experience for, for, for people. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw my hat in there too, because I also cried at this movie. <laughs> oh, well, good. So that's, that's, you just add me on that too, but it was, it was a good cry. So I, I said, bravo there. Thanks. Yeah, that's what we were saying. We said we wanted people to have a cr- a good cry. That's that's what we were going for. Then you you 100% succeeded. Great, great. <laughs> um, I guess there's one other question I wanted to ask a bit more on the uh, the technical end. Um, I think you elaborated a little bit on this in um in Annie, but I just wanted to ask you again here. Um, for the stop motion uh, uh sequences, how long did those take to film? Because I know you had like a a, a set crew just animating those sequences while you had another set crew just animating the uh, computer-generated uh, bits. But um, I just wanted to know, like, how long would it take to do uh, eat, you know, a particular uh, scene in stop motion? Well, it's hard, it's hard to say just because so, so much of the production is spread out over a long period of time, you know? Um, I think the stop motion, it's about 20% of the movie, maybe 18 or 20% of the movie, but it took about a year, um, full-on... A year with with um, to 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 bring all that to life, um, and I think the the CG, even though we had two years of pre production, um, you know, it was about eighteen months, a little over eighteen months to do all the CG production. Um, so it's it it's kind of reductive to just throw out those numbers, and I don't I don't like to do it because it's like there's so much energy that goes into it and there's so much work that goes into it and it's like literally the the hearts and souls of like hundreds of people over the course of that that you know period of time and it's it's really hard to just say well a frame takes this long or a shot takes this long but um i would just say that uh it always takes much longer than you expect it always takes much longer than you wanted to and i think that <laughs> process of discovery that um, the the labor that goes into it is is just it, it cannot be described and and even for those of us that lived through it you know it was um, if it weren't the little prince we would have there would have been a mutiny uh, across <laughs> the board like I'm I'm serious like everybody who worked on the project at one point or another contemplated leaving for one reason or another because it was incredibly difficult not only from a story perspective, but from a production perspective. And it was incredibly challenging. And so, um, yeah, it, it, if it weren't The Little Prince, it wouldn't exist. But because it was The Little Prince, people cared very, very deeply and, and went the extra mile. Um, and, you know, Jamie, uh, Jamie and his team on the stop motion side, they were working around the clock sometimes because, you know, there was a... Um, some for some reason they had a different deadline um and they did get started like i said they produced finished footage first it took a lot longer i think for jamie to figure out exactly how he wanted to pull off um the material from the stop motion it took a while to figure it out and um but once they figured it out the pace that they were working at was much faster than most stop motion productions normally are we were trying to be incredibly resourceful. We did not have the kinds of budgets that you would have on a Leica film or even mm-hmm. an art film. So it was really very, very, very painstaking. And um, I think some of the shots, you know, from a just from a 
pure performance perspective, there were a few shots that probably took, you know, nine or 10 days to accomplish from an animation point of view. Um, But that, yeah, but that really belittles the whole process. I mean, those shots could take just as long to set up. Um, And I think there was one shot in particular that probably took months to set up because it was, it was very, it was early on. It was very challenging to figure out how we were going to do wide shots of the desert. And, um, so, you know, sometimes those things take a long time to, to sort out. And on the CG side, it's just the same. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a lot of iteration that happens in CG. There's a lot of um, trial and error. There's a lot of um, pieces that add up to ultimately, you know, your your final look and your final result. Um, but it's really maddening because you're, you're, you're dealing with things in isolation out of context. And sometimes when you finally get everything in lighting in the final stages where you can see, you know, the object, the way it's meant to be seen with the lighting and the look and the surfacing and the texturing and, you know, everything is, is just the right way. You know, it's sort of like, Oh my God, but now that object in the hands of the main character don't, it doesn't look right. And so there's all this, all these things that can go CG process because it's just, you're guessing a lot. There's a lot of guesswork. And I guess what I love about stop motion is there's not as much guesswork in a way because you're putting the pieces in front of the camera and you can see what you're going to get. And so there's a there's an immediacy, even though it takes forever, there's an immediacy that you don't have in CG that um, I think really saved my life in the production because I was like pulling my hair out in CG, working out a context, and then I could go over into the stop motion stages and not only smell the smell of paint and and sawdust and be around all these amazing artists that, you know, their hands were covered in, you know, glue and paint and, you know, it was like (laughs) a natural environment for me, kind of reminded me back of my Cal arts days, but it, but it also, there was an immediacy. You could see what, what this material looked like under the lights and, and through the, through the lens of the camera. And, and it gave a, um, it inspired me every day to go back to CG and kind of push that process even harder to, to raise the bar for what we were trying to do across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was yeah. one other thing. Um, kind of, well, going back to a little bit in terms of the story, there was one thing I noticed when I um, uh, was watching the movie, and I kind of, I, I kind of noticed it at first, but then I went back and saw it again, and it, you know, reaffirmed. Uh, yeah, but, um, none of the characters in this in the movie. They're not given a real like they're not given a name. They they basically yeah. given an ide- identification like you know it's the aviator, it's the little prince, the girl is just the little girl, the mom doesn't ha- you know isn't dressed, and that's kind of very reminiscent of, like, not just of the book but also of like just gen- fairy tales in general where characters just weren't really given names. So I was yeah, wanted to make sure yeah. I was intentional or not. It was definitely you know out of necessity we had to follow the naming convention of the book in order to stay in that universe. But I think that's one of the master strokes of the book. It's one of the brilliant things of the book because it's the book deals with um, these characters as as icons or as archetypes, as as you know the the characters represent the the um, the you know they represent the the ideals or the personalities of these characters. So it's it's a very it's very it's a very strong idea in the book that's presented that we wanted to carry through. And honestly, I only had the courage to do it because I had seen it done so well in another film that really impacted me emotionally 
um, because of the fact that the characters didn't have names. And if you've seen, there's a movie called Once that's a brilliant, oh. brilliant movie. That's have one you, of my have favorites. you guys seen it? Um, I yeah. unfortunately haven't had the opportunity, but obviously I think Chris has. Yeah, yeah it's one of my it's one of my favorite films. It's, I think it's, I think it's yeah. one of everyone's favorite films. I love. I that need movie. to see it. You have to see it. It's brilliant. It tells this incredible love story that is it's very temporary and fragile and, and 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 you know I was wrestling throughout the whole movie because it's called once and I was just like oh I, I kind of felt like you know it 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 was um I don't know it really hit me emotionally and 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 then when the credits came up at the end the main characters were just guy and girl and it just floored me that I didn't know their names and I didn't need to know their names to be emotionally engaged and to be it, it it made it all that much more temporary and it and it and it I burst into tears and I've never cried at credits before like that and <laughs> so it just added this whole other layer to the to the meaning of that movie and so anyway so that inspired me I just said we, you don't need to know the characters names and that was I think what what pushed me over the edge of wanting to do it that way Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I'll have to write that down. A list of films to see. It's just, it's just called Once. Once. Irish. Once. Like okay. once in time. Like a, a, a moment in time. Once. All right. Well, um, writing and, that down right now. And the other one I'll say you have to see if you haven't seen is a movie called Adaptation. And that was Spike Jones and Charlie Right. Goldman. Yeah, that, I think I've seen that. That was a huge inspiration for me because it's such a non-traditional adaptation of a book that was really, really difficult to adapt. And the book is called The Orchid Thief. And the movie is, is, is really a story about how hard it was to adapt the book. And Charlie Kaufman turned himself into twins, twin writers that were – and one of them was the writer that was struggling to adapt The Orchid Thief into a movie – Anyway, it's it's as much about filmmaking as it is about the book The Orchid Thief, and it's a brilliant, brilliant movie, and it was it's the most non-traditional adaptation, and it's what really inspired me to think outside the box in those early days of trying to conceive of how to approach this book. Mm-hmm. There, there's a um, British film, I think it's called something Tristram Shandy. Uh, yes, uh, a cock and bull yeah, story. Uh, cock and bull story, yeah, and that yeah. does a similar thing. I love with, that. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the other supposedly unadaptable stories, and I was, I did, I did think a bit about that because there are certain stories that people say are unadaptable, and then there are the ways of doing it like that, and like the Little Prince. And well, I always said, I always said that there's there is a way to adapt anything, really. Mm-hmm. But what you what you are actually risking is whether or not people will appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And, <laughs> And I think that that to me was once I I sort of realized, and this was we talked about this a lot working on the project. It's like there's no way we're going to please everybody, and it kind of liberates you to go. You know what? We're going to love the hell out of this book, and we're gonna we're gonna we are going to approach this with our hearts like completely on our sleeves, and we're just going to go for it, and we are just going to really make the best and most powerful tribute that we can make. And at the end of the day, if you don't agree with what we've chosen to do, we, we hope that you will at least appreciate the fact that we really believed in what we were doing. And and that as an adaptation, it, it will 
it will be an artistic endeavor in and of itself that and and honestly that was i think one of the things that was most amazing about this process is the family of Santa Exupéry was so supportive and behind this because they they saw what we were trying to do they saw that this was a tribute first and foremost and that it was a tribute to the power of the book and and so this is actually the first time that they are have put their stamp of approval on a filmic adaptation they have never gotten behind an adaptation before and this is it, it was a tremendous vote of confidence throughout but it was um you know it was one of those things that made the premiere so special was we actually had many members of the family were there in attendance and they came up to us afterwards in tears and hugged us and told us that we had made the book new again to them uh, to members of the family that had lived with this book their whole lives and so that was a that yeah that was a very powerful vote of confidence in what we were trying to do which again it's like there is no definitive um adaptation possible because everybody's got their own interpretation and we said this is not intended to be the book this is intended to be the little girl's version of the book and the mm-hmm. whole story is meant to be um a celebration of of uh, and an echo of what what can happen when the book enters your life and affects you in in a way that can be profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was um that was one of the more interesting sequences. Like I remember in watching the movie, like you see her, um, you know, enjoy the story that the aviator is sharing with her, you know, and she starts and you know, she learns different things from it. And then when the story finally comes to an end, she kind of goes, you know, whether or not this is actually happened or in her own head i was not sure i wasn't sure what the whole how we were supposed to perceive that to be honest with you but um i took it as a kind of uh basically the whole adventure she goes on in the airplane with the uh, stuff fox at the very end of the film i took it as a sign of her own way of processing her own life events with what she's learned from the story and basically her own way of figuring out the whole message that the story was meant to give her exactly you got it Yes. Okay. I was right. No, and I think it's a really the book has a lot of ambiguity, and so we didn't want to be 100% explicit. We felt like it wasn't serving the material properly to be just literal and explicit, you know. So we wanted there to be a lot of ambiguity. We wanted there to be, you know, different interpretations and ways that you can read it. But the the thing that we wanted you to feel more than anything was the fact that that this little girl was having a very hard time understanding this very ambiguous and poetic and very open-ended book and i i my heart breaks a little when people look at that and they say oh we we've we went and made it concrete we went and made it you know we 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 rewrote the ending or you know we did something to the book and it's like no 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 it's it's really what we were trying to do was show you a version of what the aviator is begging you to do at the end of the book. At the end of the book, the aviator is telling you how important it is to imagine the story continuing because it does help you to come to terms with those things that cannot be defined or answered or tied up with a bow. Mm-hmm. And so the the writing is asking you to continue the story. So we just took that as a, as our lead. And so we, we have the little girl continue the story in her own very personal, very, very uh, private way. And that's the journey that she goes on to, to try to understand the book. And so that's, I believe everybody goes on a journey in one way or another to, to come to terms with what the book is means 
in that moment that they're in in their life and and it and it's something different to everybody mm-hmm. so yeah we that's it's you you definitely are getting at the heart of what what we were trying to do but again it's it's not something that can be so I always say to people, whatever whatever it is that you're feeling from that, or whatever you're getting from that, is is valid, you know. Because um, I think anybody's experience with the book is valid. It it it, it brings you into the process. It, it becomes a dialogue, and we wanted the movie to be a dialogue as much as the book is. Mm-hmm, definitely, I just it, it. I think that what what impressed me the most about that uh, entire sequence was when I you know was starting to pick up on those ideas, like oh, this is you know her taking her own experiences. It's just I remember when I was growing up that that's basically, you know, I would see things or read things or experience things. And then, you know, I would react to those things in my own way. But then after, you know, taking a step back into my own private space, like, you know, go into my imagination a little bit, then that would play out in its own way and help me figure out what was going on. Yeah, yeah. it's the fact that you were able to do that on film. That I don't think I've ever seen that done before. And it really it meant a lot to me. Oh, great. That's so good to hear. Because I, I honestly, it's, you know, um, it was one of the most, I think, scariest aspects of what we were trying to do was that that kind of exploration and that kind of, you know, extending and, and really being in the little girl's head and in her story and in her experience. It was it was something that we, I think, felt um, it, it was the hardest thing to figure out, uh, really. Mm-hmm. And um yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, another question, a bit off, uh, only slightly off topic, because I know you've been, you're a very busy guy, and you have a lot of, uh, you know, different, you have a lot of hand in a lot of different projects, and you know, moving on with the ne- the next step in uh, your career. But I also wanted to ask um, if you have had time to see any other potentially other any other animated films that may have come out this year that you uh may have enjoyed or any other just maybe even if they didn't come out this year stuff that you've seen that uh you really enjoyed uh getting a chance to experience yeah yeah i loved um and i love zootopia i that film blew me away and i because i think going into it i was like okay it's gonna be a talking animal movie and you know like you know i kind of had an assumption and and I was just telling the guys who made it um, that it just it freaked me out just how bold they were being and how powerful um, a movie it is. And the fact that I love when a really successful movie actually has something really meaningful deep at its core. And that that was really exciting for me to see. Um, And it was a lot of fun. You know, Um, I love, um, you know, I, I really there's so many movies out this year. They're, they're, it's it's pretty crazy uh, <laughs> how many there are, and I'm di- I'm dying to see the Red Turtle. I love oh yeah. oh you Sam's and me both. Sure. You and I me haven't both. Sam yeah. seen it, and I love Michael Do Doctor Wit, and I, mm. I I I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. So I'm I'm really um, anxious to to see that. Um, likewise, I can't wait to see My Life as a Zucchini because I just <laughs> hear really really good things about it. I loved Long Way North. I thought it was beautiful. Ah, yeah. I thought it was powerful. I thought it was emotional. And I loved the look of it, the design, the color. Like, there's just, yeah, there's so much there. Um, Cartoon Saloon does some great stuff. But it wasn't Cartoon Saloon. Oh, was it? No. no. I think, think someone no, was, was involved. Oh, I forgot. I'm yeah, sorry. It was, someone it was... Was in, from Cartoon Saloon was involved in it. It was he, Cartoon he... Saloon. Wasn't involved. I'm sorry. He, he, he worked on... 
the guy who directed it was an assistant director on um, uh, Secret of Kells. Uh, oh, right. I'm sorry. I remember. Saloon. I remember reading about it. Just like, it's like, oh, cartoon. Like someone from Cartoon Saloon was involved in, it, and somehow my brain crossed that. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not much 2D going on in the world, so it's not. It's an easy thing to think that that. that you know, Cartoon Saloon's doing, I think, extraordinary work in 2D, but I, I, I also think it's an achievement that these guys were able to do this completely independently, and, and you know, it's kind of like a standalone um, production. And actually, um, one of our story artists uh, was became, I think, head of story on, or, or uh, was really involved in, um, we, 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 you know, um, they, they were uh, the French production as well as our pre-production was all... Um, done in france so some of our artists actually i think two of our story artists ended up going and working on that movie but um yeah i love that movie so much <laughs> i've just i just i watched it last week and I, I just um or the week before and i just found out that the director his next film he's doing the a film about the youth of calamity jane oh wow and i've, hmm. and I've, and I've seen that some concept art from it on uh on katsuka and it looks looks like that's going to be <laughs> worth waiting for as well yeah he's incredibly incredibly talented yeah, mm-hmm. well, yeah I, I... i've got to see that one i i, I think the, the the thing with um like there are so many movies out that you know of but getting to see them is another thing still and kind of i, I think it's i think that's kind of a relevant like topic because i would i don't think uh, personally, I would have got the opportunity to see The Little Prince were it not for the Netflix distribution. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, which have... is huge, really. Yeah, I have to say, it's, um, you know, we, we traveled, the movie got released all over the world. There were many, many territories that just, you know, couldn't wait to get it into theaters. Um, so we actually had a lot of luck, and, and it was a very long and very strange um distribution sort of plan that kind of unfolded where I, I was going to different premieres in different countries like one a month for for basically 12 months and so we had a lot of theatrical success everywhere including uh, china oddly which is our giant mo- biggest territory we made 25 million in china oh my goodness um, and we doubled yeah which doubled our french uh, uh box office numbers um Italy was also huge, like way beyond what they expected. So it's like we had all this great success, but it was a little bit um, – people were scratching their heads in some of the English-speaking territories, especially in the U.S. There was sort of like a – uncertainty about, about how to sell the film, and everybody knew that they couldn't sell it like one of those gigantic you know, animated movies. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit of a, of a, of a uh, you know, uh, confusing – moment in time and and there's also a very complicated backstory um that that is tied to rights and and businessmen and all sorts of things like that but um we had uh uh i think a really awesome opportunity came when netflix kind of wanted the film they saw the possibilities of the film as it was they 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 loved it wanted to market it for for what it is and and came in as an amazing partner that brought it to i think you know brought it to into the homes of people and so i had seen it do really well in theatrical settings but then to get all this amazing reaction from people who were watching it 
and their kids were watching it over and over again and people were sort of watching it in the safety of their living rooms and they could actually have this emotional experience you know without being embarrassed in front of other people or whatever <laughs> but we started to get all these emotional reactions from people that were seeing it on Netflix and so I think there's this you know incredible sort of very wide immediate distribution that happens but the thing I was surprised about was how it gave people the opportunity to see it again and again and I, I've gotten so many messages from people where their kids were watching it over and over again and people were seeing it multiple times and that's like man that's all you could uh that's all you can ask for when when you make a movie like this mm -hmm. yeah we are about um just about six minutes or seven minutes uh over an hour so if um if you guys want to ask any other questions before we uh start wrapping things up or um uh... sure yeah i do have like one sort of general question mark um sure I don't know how, I mean, you've been really like thorough with explaining sort of how the film came together, but I just wondered for, for you, like how, um, making the film independently do you think, uh, was, was different? Um, because I can imagine there probably would have been things which were, uh, easier perhaps and things which were probably a lot harder, um, in terms of just like developing developing the film really yeah it was it was um we had a, a an amount of creative control that was sort of um you know i i i don't think i ever could have imagined that the, this uh, the kind of creative control that we had we were sort of our own our own executives we were our own um uh, you know, worst critics. We were, we were, we were um, as filmmakers uh, collectively, you know, uh, harder on the project and and trying to make it as what it what it could be. Um, we didn't have sort of executives over our heads, um, and we didn't have sort of we weren't being driven by the, the kinds of forces that sometimes drive the larger animated movies. So you know. Um, we were we were the only ones giving notes. We didn't have notes coming from some marketing department or from some, you know, um, you know, group of of executives, you know, that were very disconnected from the project. We were internally very very much, um, you know, we were our own thing, and so that gave us, I think, a lot of autonomy. On the flip mm. side, though, on the flip side, you know, we didn't have the luxury of a completely, you know, robust uh, pipeline, and we didn't have the luxury of, you know, all the things that you would normally have on a big animated movie. So we were, we were definitely, you know, in some ways on a shoestring budget, trying to do a, a lot with very little. And um, so that that ended up being sort of our constraint, our constraint of what could we achieve with the resources that we had. And um, so our creative our unlimited creative possibilities were limited by our, our um, just the logistics of what we were trying to do. And just to give a sense of the complications that we encountered, you know, we were two years in pre-production in France, the whole project ended up having to move to Montreal and we became a French Canadian co-production just for budget reasons. And mm. Montreal ended up creating an opportunity for us to, I think, make a much bigger film than we could have made had we stayed in France. Um, but it also created an opportunity where we were able to have our stop motion and our CG production in the same city. 
they weren't in the same building. They were, in fact, across town. But we were able to actually work with, um, in uh, Montreal, we worked with a, um, a CG production facility called Micros Image uh, to do this, the CG. And then um, Jamie and his team, they set up a stop motion facility across town. And that's where we did the stop motion production. So, um, you know, th those were the kinds of that move where we took the project and a lot of the artists had to relocate with the project to Montreal was very, very tough on the project, very complicated, very complex. And, you know, ultimately, I think the project benefited from it, but it also did create a lot of complications um, mm -hmm. for us and what we were trying to pull off. Yeah, big moves like that are always challenging. But yeah, that's, having, that's to, really... having to keep everything on, you know, on track, even in spite of that, is is monumental. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. But I mean, personally, I I felt that the the benefits far outweighed like any uh, difficulties that you had with that because it just really felt. I mean, in the way like the the story was told and in the the direction, it, it felt unlike any other uh at least cg animated movie um, yeah we were we really, really were going for something yeah we were going for something yeah. that was so different the book is so different and we yeah. needed the movie to be different and if anything we were tonally trying to match like what miyazaki does as far as you know just telling the story the way it should be told and and coming from a place of emotion more than than you know, comedy or action or, or violence, you know, like just letting it be what it needed to be. That was really what we were trying to do. Yeah, I think I think also like kids really appreciate that. I mean, that's that's kind of what the best uh, kids authors do. And uh, certainly what uh, Son Exupery did with the book was he didn't speak down to kids and he didn't he didn't um, sugarcoat things. And sort of by presenting things plainly, you allow. I mean, I even even as even as an adult watching the film, I really appreciated how things were not necessarily spelt out like uh, with a with a great big marker every single time. I there were just like subtle things that I was noticing here and there, like the story with what happened with the girl's father, and uh, yeah, I I just really appreciated that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, the book the book. I think is masterful in the, in the way that it's, you know, it doesn't talk down. You're right. And, and I, I hate it when movies are talking down to kids. I, I especially hate it when people think of animation as like, Oh, it's for kids. So you got to like make it dumb or you got to make it like so clear. And, mm. you know, I think that it actually hurts not only your ability to tell a great story, but it, I, I just, I feel like kids don't like it when, when they're being talked down to, I, I feel like it, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to treat them as the smart, you know, creatures that they are. And, and frankly, all the movies that affected me as a kid were the ones that, you know, I, they, they were more planting a seed in me. And mm. I, maybe I didn't understand everything that I was seeing, but that was okay. And it actually mm -hmm. gave me a chance to have a conversation with my parents or with my friends or, you know, it's like those are the movies that meant more to me growing up were the ones that actually could start a conversation as opposed mm -hmm. to give me everything and then make me forget. I forget about them, you know, right away. Yeah, it's always those movies that challenge you uh, when you see them when you're younger that always those are the ones that always stick in your mind the most. Yeah. Yeah, because if there's something you don't understand, you're going to remember that a lot 
a lot more and chew on it. And that's how mm. the book works. The book, you you definitely mm. are left with a lot of questions. And that's part of why the book is, I think, has lasted so long is because it doesn't give you all the answers. And in fact, it 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 gives it leaves you with more questions than you had to begin with. And and that which is a really, really good thing, a really important thing. Mm-hmm. I I have a question. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> um I'm sure you probably can't say too much, but we've just in the last week uh found out that you're gonna be directing uh Bone as your next film. Um is that is that um is that franchise something that uh you've got a personal connection with as well or is it well, actually, you I got discovering it. Pretty yeah, I got turned on to the books after Kung Fu Panda, and I was sort of looking far and wide to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I caught wind of Bone and Jeff Smith, and I actually went out to visit him in Ohio, and I started pursuing that now, like more than eight years now. And um, we started up a conversation and a friendship really centered around the idea of adapting this I think you know tricky book and um uh yeah I have to say it was one of those things that I I at the time I was like god I don't know this is gonna be really hard and then I go off and I adapt one of the most impossible books (laughs) (laughs) I went through the ringer on on Little Prince and and so I kind of went back to Jeff afterwards and I was like you know I think maybe I can do this. And um, so I could do that. I could do anything. Well, definitely people were saying, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to follow up the little prince? And, and I think it's, you know, I was like, God, I have no idea. And I spent a few years in the midst of making little prince saying, I'm never doing a movie again. Like I'm, you know, this is too hard. So I think afterwards it just was really, really uh, fun to sort of open up the, the creative conversation again and to find out that that Warner Brothers had the rights. And actually I got a, approached by Dan Lin, um, who was um, the producer on the Lego movie and he's a super talented guy and got approached by him and his um, associate on the project, Mark Bouch. And we, you know, just started talking about it as a, wouldn't it be cool? And I've always believed that it should be a trilogy of movies. And I was very encouraged to discover that that's how they felt about it as well. So um, anyway, that began the process. I partnered with a friend of mine who's a writer named Adam Klein, and and he and I put our heads together and and we cracked what we believe is the right way to approach not only addressing the whole series of books as a trilogy, but but most importantly by by sort of treating movie one as a real standalone movie that will will kick off the trilogy and so it there were some big ideas there that i I'm, I'm really excited about and you know i these things take years and you never know what's going to happen and and um you know i'm actually developing kind of a handful of projects which is really exciting to kind of have that opportunity to develop a bunch of things at once um but i'm really excited that Adam and I are, are are drafting what I think is a script that will hopefully knock everybody out and make make um, the reality of a, a bone movie um, more real. But um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of it's been a quite a long journey for Jeff Smith, who's kind of watched it over over a long period of time now, struggle and development. But what I love is what we're what Adam and I are doing with with the with the story and the script Jeff loves and Jeff's completely behind and so that feels 
feels good. Excellent. Very yeah. glad. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Any other final questions before we wrap things up for the day? No, you good. Uh, <laughs> no, I think Doesn't... I think uh, I think Mark's like given us a, as far as I can tell, a really thorough, uh, mm. comprehensive yeah. account of how of how he made the movie. Mm. Can I? Yeah, it's been awesome. Can I plug the movie? Can I plug? Oh heck! Oh yeah! No, you can. You we're um we're we're just about to hit that section now. We're gonna plug a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, if you want to plug that and or anything else you'd like to plug, go right ahead. Well, I would just wrap by saying, you know, I try so hard to 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 talk about the artists involved and 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 you know, I had so many amazing collaborators on the project and and I get a little bit lost in telling the story from my own point of view. Um, but I will say that there is a, a an incredible art of book. Um, that's available on Amazon. It's called The Little Prince, The Art of the Movie. And I think it's a, a very, very um, beautiful document of a lot of the amazing work behind the scenes um, that gives credit where it's due to a lot of the amazing artists involved in the project that I probably, um, I don't think I, I mentioned everybody. So if if people want to pick that book up, there's, it's I think it's a real great document of, of the process uh, behind the scenes and, and shows a lot of the uh, development art. Mm-hmm. And you said that's on Amazon. It, I, I think you can get it lots of places. I just know for sure it's on Amazon. Um, okay. But, but, Amazon yeah. and all good bookstores. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll we'll stick it in the show notes a little link to it, and if yeah. people want to buy it through that link, then yeah, that would be good. Well, the, the publisher <laughs> the publisher is Titan Books out of the UK. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to plug real quick, or we gonna? Thanks, you guys, for supporting animation for adults. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with me about the movie. And I, I hope if people haven't seen it yet that they're interested to to check it out. And um, uh, thanks. Yeah, thank you. And if you thank you, yeah, seen the movie, and if you're curious about the book, pick up the see if you can find a copy of the Little Prince as well, because you uh, can both enjoy both the movie and the book at the same time. I would and, say... and 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 also I would say all of uh, uh, Sonic Spray's writing mm-hmm. is is uh, I don't know. It's sort of like become something that I dip into every now and again, just to just when I need to get inspired about something. I think. Um, uh, my favorite is probably Wind, Sand, and Stars. Oh yeah, um, yeah. and yeah, I think for for older readers, definitely check out his his other writing. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you are gonna if you are gonna um, look for the Little Prince, look for the translation by Catherine Woods. Um, there's a new translation that is less poetic, I think, in my, in my estimation. But the Catherine Woods translation that that um, goes back to before, um, I'm not exactly sure when the new translation was. It might be around the year 2000, something like that. But if you can find the Catherine Woods, it's it's um, it's the translation that matches up to the movie, and it matches up to I think a little bit more um, a little bit more to the original poetry in the writing. Uh, from the original by Santa Zubri. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much, Mark, for joining us and being able to share your story with us. Yeah, thanks, you guys. 
All right, and thank you all for tuning in with this uh, very special episode. And if you want to check out more of our podcast episodes, uh, check us out on um, our web and website at animationforadults.com. We have a list of all of our previous podcast episodes for you to check out. We're also available on iTunes, Stitcher, and podcast.com. And stay tuned to the website for more animation news and also our social medias with Facebook, uh, Tumblr, Twitter, and Pinterest. And Mark, where can we find you on social media? I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm ha- happy product on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm oddborn and I have a website called happyproduct.com and I'm on Facebook too. So yeah, I'm not easy. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like hidden. I'm out. There. Okay. <laughs> Hey, Chris, where can we find you on social media? Uh, Mr. Christor on Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, if you'd like to help support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash animation for adults as well. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please, because our, our recording software, we want to try and maintain our uh, the quality of our recordings for our podcast episodes. And one of the ways we can maintain doing that is if you all come out and support us on Patreon. That would be awesome. Thank you. And, Dan, how about you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Hamu. All right, and you can find me on Twitter as well at FailToNinja. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. 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 Minus two by minus three.